if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is away at eight minutes past ten o'clock on this uh, Tuesday morning, the fifth morning of the first month of the year of our Lord 2021. And it is D-Day in the state of Georgia, which makes it D-Day for the United States of America. Thanks for being with us. Um, I laid it out as best I could in the first hour. Now I need somebody to do it better than I do it uh, with perhaps a little bit more intellectual analysis. And that's why I turn to our friend Peter Kersenow for the first time in the calendar year 2021 in what might be the year that the United States of America and the great republic that she is, the experiment that she is, proves to have failed. It's possible. Peter Kirsten, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, member of the 1776 Commission, as well as being a Cleveland attorney and a best-selling author. Pete, good morning. How are you? Happy New Year, Bob. Doing well. I um, watched a portion of the um, uh, Ball State game. I was really impressed. Uh, are they ranked? Oh, did you? Uh, well, you know, the final rankings won't come out until after the title game between Ohio State and Alabama, uh, but they should be. They were they were checking in around 29 or 30 prior to that game, uh, but their, their last two games in the MAC championship game, they beat number 23, and then they beat number 22, uh, uh, which was undefeated San Jose State. So if you don't right. jump up into the top 25 from that, uh, then something's wrong with the rankings. But uh, yeah, 7-1, and one, they should be ranked when it's all said and done, and pretty excited about uh, about next year. <laughs> Yeah. Peter Kersenow, uh So, you know, boy, what, a, what an oddity that was to hear you start with a sports take or a sports <laughs> comment. You know, for, for years, you would, you would count down to this, that, or the other thing. And, you know, whether it be your first opening day, first pitch, start of the World Series, start of the NBA Finals. And, and the Browns, you know, this is such a bizarre thing. 18 years in the making, the Browns finally returned to the playoffs, and neither one of us are paying a lick of attention to it because of the, you know, the woke culture that the NFL has decided to embrace. And, uh, like you, I've, right. I've been reticent to, uh, you know, to, uh, to become a part of that. But I will say, I know that the people in the, you know, that, that I associate with who are still watching are super excited about it. Well, you know, I have to admit, I, I, I am not boycotting the Browns, although I've, I watched precious little of it. I mean, I, if, it, if it was maybe three-quarters 
the entire season, and most of those three quarters were in the Pittsburgh game last week on, on Sunday. Uh, so I'm very happy for the Browns. I'm excited about it. I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next week, but I have a pretty good suspicion it's not going to be the same as last week. But uh, look, it's great. You know, eleven and five. Uh, I went to the last playoff game that the Browns, not, not the last playoff game, last playoff victory that the Browns had um, back during the Belichick era. And so it's been a long time coming. So, uh, yeah, and then it's, no it's disappointing also to see that the Indians have gone woke. Uh, it's going to be difficult for Clevelanders. Look, I grew up, you know, my first sport was baseball. And we'd be on the playground and, you know, uh, playing baseball, and we were the Indians, you know. And for my entire life, it was the Indians. And I'm still mystified as to why the change is, they believe the change is necessary. Uh, even though because George look, Floyd died. Through, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you and I talked about that, but it's... Uh, I mean, it's that's it, right? Bizarre. I mean, it's, literally, it, it that's exactly it. Right. That's when all it's of this exactly started. Right. Yep, yep. George exactly Floyd's right. death led to the end of the Washington Redskins. It led to an end to the Cleveland Indians, you know, as far as their names. Uh, and, of course, it led to a ton of other changes all throughout our communities, cultures, uh, you know, the wokeness of the, of the sports leagues themselves, uh, and, and all the rest, all because of a guy... <laughs> A guy who uh, overdosed on fentanyl, couldn't breathe, and at the time he was arrested, could not breathe because of what was in his system. And, of course, they attributed it to racist police work. So, And yep. that, of course, led to our quote-unquote reckoning on race throughout this country. It's a remarkable thing. George Floyd really had such a wide-reaching impact, and it was nothing. <laughs> the truth of the matter is his death was not anything that it was actually portrayed as being. That's the that's uh, true. And you know, optics are terrible. That, uh, yeah, the optics are terrible. But, you know, I will tell you that. Um, I'm, I don't purport to speak for anybody or anything like that, but I can tell you that we've had at least two hearings at the Civil Rights Commission. One, I recall, distinctly had to do with the issue of mascots. And so um, what you would find was that no one in, and I don't, again, I'm not speaking for Native Americans, I'm only speaking based on poll results and the testimony we had before the Civil Rights Commission. But it's rare that you find Native Americans who are objecting to the Washington Redskins, or the Cleveland Indians. In fact, a poll was done, and the vast majority of Native Americans had no problem with Cleveland Indians, uh, any, any other kind of mascots similar to that. And I'm not saying it was a carte blanche for all mascots. There may have been some offensive ones. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, but the ones that are prominent, no one had a problem with them, except for the activists. The activists who came in and testified, of course, had a problem with it, but no one else did. And, and in fact, uh, we had testimony that um, many Native Americans liked the idea of being affiliated with professional football teams and, and other uh, endeavors, too. So, as usual, the activists get their way, and I think America is poor as a result. Yeah, you know, that, and you did talk about that before, and I don't want to rehash all of that old ground, uh, not at the Civil Rights Commission level, but countless other studies have been done, surveys and polls of, of Native Americans in this country and in various tribes as to whether or not they're offended by this or whether or not they would actually be upset if um, references to their culture were removed from our sports teams and society and so forth. And the, 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 the numbers all show the same thing. Like I said, I can't speak yep. for yours uh, and what, what you heard, but they all show the same thing. Uh, this was completely unnecessary. Okay. Uh, we got a little off the track there to start, and that's okay. Thanks for the Ball State props. Pete, let's get into uh, the Peach State now. Um, I've said it. You've said it. Last night, Donald Trump said it. Uh, last night uh, or yesterday, uh, Mike Pence said it, and virtually everybody understands this. This is about, you know, I hate to put the fate of the country, and I mean the future of the country. It's it's fate to come literally 
uh, all on the campaigns of, of David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, but that's where they are. Um, this is literally all up to them and whether or not they're able to generate enough votes to save the country. Uh, it's unfair to say that. It's just two out of 100 Senate seats, but we all know the drill here. With Nancy in control of one house or chamber, uh, with Chuck Schumer, let's change America, in control of the other chamber, and with, of course, Kamala Harris uh, leading Joe Biden around by the year in the White House, um, everything ends. Um, Two new states, four new liberal Democrat senators, uh, the abolishment or the, or the abolition rather, or the changing of the electoral college will never win another election that matters. And this country will be on its way to full on socialism or communism. So, Pete, uh, it's D-Day. How do you feel? What is your sense? What are you hearing or what are you feeling about what's going to happen when polls close at 7.30 tonight? Do we still have our republic or is this the beginning of the end? It, uh, we still should have the Republic provided Republicans can muster the votes necessary to exceed the margin of vote theft and fraud. And I think they will. Well said. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and I'm being absolutely serious. It's, it's, it's sobering for anyone to say something like that in the United States of America. And I'm being as circumspect as I possibly can and being careful with my words, but, um, there are too many people who are being ultra-careful with their words to the point of denying what we all know to be true, that there was massive fraud in this election, and that it was in, on multiple levels in many regards. It, it was just extraordinary. We're seeing it right in front of us, and one of the troubling things about this is how media, big tech, so many institutions are simply ignoring it. Um, we, we will not have a republic if we continue to countenance something like this. So, yes, I do think, based on everything that I've heard, and I don't know anything about Georgia. I mean, I've been to Georgia a number of times, of course, but based on the experts down there, the politicos down there who have uh, their ear to the ground, they think it's going to be a close Republican victory and that there's enough checks and balances, enough observers, poll watchers, to make sure that if there is fraud, it's not at the scale that we saw in November and that we should prevail. But who knows? I mean, this is going to be very close. I just don't think that any so state, regardless me, of it... You're scaring, me because, uh, you're scaring me because I don't believe that the words close and Republican victory can be used together. I feel like if it's close at all, what you said in your first remark will, will come to pass, and that is that we won't have enough to overcome how many they can steal. Let me be more precise. I think it will be close after taking into account the measures that the Democrats will employ to steal. In other words, I think that there will be a significant enough margin that after the steal, there still will be a close victory. I don't think that it's necessarily going to be close in terms of the actual vote. I can't even believe this is even coming out of my mouth, but that uh, I'm looking at the objective facts. We look at what happened in Georgia in multiple precincts, um, Fulton County, Cobb County, we saw the video. And look, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist. Use your own eyes. The media has been trying to do the Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for. Uh, Try to tell us there's nothing to see here, move along. But we saw it with our own eyes, and we've not gotten a credible explanation for what was going on there. But beyond all of that is the multiple um, testimonies before uh, the state legislature that 
the media is simply not reporting on. These people are either lying under oath or there was significant evidence of fraud in so many different areas. I mean, uh, it's truly breathtaking to look at. But the media is simply playing this uh, kind of hide-the-ball scenario where they don't even report about it, similar to what they did with the Hunter Biden laptops that now we all know what happened there, and it's still being covered up to a large extent. They're not giving it the type of attention it should um, accord especially in considering how they chased the Russia hoax for four years with absolutely no evidence. Um, but this is significant stuff. So I, I do think we're going to prevail, Bob, is the bottom line. Uh, but, you know, um, it just I think it really does depend on those 4,000 poll watchers and all the other checks and balances that are in place. Yeah, I, um, I hope that those watchers are given access. That's the thing. We had a lot of watchers who were denied access in the original um, election in, on November 3rd uh, in Georgia and in several other states, which, of course, is why uh, the challenges are going to be held tomorrow on the floors of the Senate and the House and on the streets of Washington, D.C., as far as challenging the certification of the electors. I want to talk to you about that next. Peter Kersenow as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1023, we continue now with Peter Kersenow on AM 1420, The Answer. By the way, I mentioned before Pete came on, and I mentioned in the last hour, about the um, taking of the streets of Washington, D.C. There are going to be buses coming in from all over the country to show support for President Trump, and most importantly, to show support for election integrity. What everyone is questioning and what everybody wants done is just to have the commission appointed that uh, Ted Cruz and others have called for to do a 10-day study on the actual election integrity to deal with um, the uh, uh, irregularities, if you want to call them that, or the fraud, if you want to go stronger. And uh, they're going to be supported by Lord knows how many hundreds of thousands, perhaps, of Americans tomorrow. So I've been asked to share this with you. If you are on one of the buses leaving from uh, Northeast Ohio very, very late tonight slash early tomorrow morning, meaning midnight 1 a.m. areas, to get to D.C. for tomorrow, um, there's been a, a bit of a change. If you are leaving from the Lowe's in Illyria, that bus now departs at 1 a.m. sharp. Check-in is at 12.15. And check-in earlier if you can, because if the bus captains so desire, they may leave even earlier, because they know the traffic getting to D.C. is going to be crazy. So that's from Elyria. If you are leaving from Valley View, that bus is now departing at 2 a.m., so they're going to later start. Check-in is at 1 a.m. All buses are sold out as of now, so you cannot, cannot get on them. But if you are uh, a part of those trips, I want you to know when to be there. Those times have changed. Both have been moved up to accommodate traffic so that you can be there by 11 a.m. tomorrow morning to join in the uh, fight to uh, save this country and to preserve election integrity. And, Pete, that's where I want to bring you back in now. A lot of people think this is just about one man, that anybody who's going down there is a Trump cult member, that he's their, you know, their overlord and, uh, you know, they, they, the leader, the Jim Jones, et cetera. A lot of the Democrats are portraying, uh, that as the case. This is about so much more than Donald Trump. Even if that, you know, if the election audit is done and a commission is, is, is formed and it is comprised of a bipartisan group of investigators, and they find that, yeah, there was some irregularity, there was even some fraud, but not enough to change this. It is still going to be Joe Biden. Certification is going to happen, and Joe Biden and, and, and Kamala Harris take over. 
that is better than the the reverse in which we never get the answer because this is about future elections. If we go into the 2022 midterms and the 2024 presidential election having no faith whatsoever that the elections will be on the up and up, again, I hate to say this, but the republic is over if we have no faith in the democratic process. So this is about much more than Donald Trump, isn't it? I agree with that. I think you've articulated it extremely well. This isn't about one candidate. It's not about one election. There are now, the numbers are growing, by the way, uh, looking at the latest polls. Apparently, these polls are being conducted almost on a weekly basis as to who has confidence that the 2020 election was conducted properly, that there was no fraud in it. And more and more people, it's now up to, I think, like 82 to 84 percent of Republicans and I think that's, that number's low, believe that the uh, election was stolen. That's their, the term that was used, and the election was stolen. Not that was there <clears throat> some fraud or lots of fraud, but the election was completely stolen as a result of uh, multiple instances of fraud and uh, significant rising numbers of independents, and it's still static at about 17 to 19 percent of Democrats think the election was stolen, but that's significant, that one-fifth or so of the, the electorate, the Democratic electorate, would think that the their party stole the election. You cannot have a functioning democracy when the integrity of the election, when the integrity of the process is suspect like this, and that's putting it very mildly. There have been volumes written about this. One of the reasons why America succeeds and other nations don't is societal trust, political trust that we have. Yeah, is it frayed from time to time? Absolutely. But we're at a turning point here, uh, and almost, I hazard to say, a point of no return. If we can't ensure the public that our institutions are not wholly corrupt, we've seen more and more of this corruption, whether it's governmental institutions, um, the media or businesses, the corruption of our institutions to achieve a particular objective is such that today people don't have a lot of confidence in the the various institutions that I've just mentioned. But most importantly, if we think our ballots don't matter, we're not going to, I think many people are not going to observe the laws and the customs that have made this a functioning republic. And once that happens, all bets are off. And what we've seen is this drive by, again, the the progressive establishment. And that includes a whole host of institutions that I've just mentioned, not just the Democratic Party, to completely obliterate any kind of opposition. And they have the opportunity to do that in the Georgia election. But even if they don't prevail in Georgia, this goes beyond the 2020 election or the Georgia election and goes on ad infinitum because, again, it's astonishing to me that even Republicans can blithely say, well, you know, we better not establish a precedent here. Well, you know, the Democrats have been relying for decades on the Republicans' reticence not to establish a precedent because they continue to, uh, you know, just blow through the norms, and yet Republicans don't challenge it. If there ever was a time to challenge an election to take extraordinary measures, this is the time. Unless, uh, I will confess that maybe my eyes aren't Myers are deceiving me. Maybe I'm not the brightest guy in the world. That's just a distinct possibility. But I'm looking at this as objectively and cold-eyed as possible. 
Um, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of somebody who's been practicing law for four decades, and, you know, I tend to look at evidence in a cold, you know, uh, just neutral fashion, because it's the only way you can properly advise clients. It's, it's the best way of presenting cases to the court. You have to have a clear-eyed view. Says, and I'm looking at mountains and mountains of evidence. Is it sufficient to overturn the outcome of the election? I don't know. And that's one of the points why we should be having an investigation or an inquiry into this. Um, but And uh, yet... And yet there are senators, uh, Pete, I apologize, we're going to get our time out for news here, like our own Rob Portman, who want nothing to do with it, who say, nope, everything is on the up and up, this is the will of the people. So I'm going to get you to react to that, and others who have uh, said that there should be no challenge to the certification of the electors coming up tomorrow. So we'll continue. By the way, Pete, you said you've been practicing law for four decades. You would think you'd be good enough at it, now you can stop practicing. (laughs) uh, Yeah, you haven't perfected it yet? He's still going? (laughs) I'm teasing him. Of course, Peter Kirsten, I'll be back with us right after this. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 1036 now. We continue with Peter Kersenow on AM 1420. The answer. Pete, um, I want to dive back into the challenges uh, on Wednesday that are planned. First of all, I'm going to give you Mike Pence, who's speaking uh, yesterday in Milner, Georgia. I'm not sure exactly where that is. Uh, certainly was firing up the base in Georgia for the uh, runoff elections today for Purdue and Leffler, but also talked about what is coming on Wednesday. Give this a listen. Friends don't let friends vote alone. Bring a family member, bring a neighbor, and vote to send David Purdue and Kelly Leffler back to Washington, D.C. You know, I know we all we all got our doubts about the last election. And I want to assure you, I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. And I promise you, come this Wednesday, we'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. Come Wednesday, we'll have our day in Congress. Not court, because they haven't been successful in court. Uh, but we'll have our day in Congress, we'll hear the objections, we'll hear the evidence. So that's extraordinarily important. Now compare and contrast that, Pete, with Ohio Senator Rob Portman, who said, no, 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 we can't be doing that sort of thing. If we uh, do things like that, it's going to embolden Democrats into uh, uh, making challenges and not playing fair going forward. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. But what Rob Portman did say is he is going to vote to certify the elections. He has no problem uh, with uh, with doing so because it keeps the uh, elections in the hands of the states rather than the Congress. Uh, Pete, how do you feel about both of those things, Mike Pence and his willingness, along with, of course, Josh Hawley, uh, Ted Cruz, and several other senators? We know Jim Jordan, Mo Brooks, and several other House reps are going to be fighting this, but uh, they do not have the support of all Republicans, including one of Ohio's own. Yeah, all due respect to Senator Portman, whom I respect. Pete, did we um, lose Pete? Hello? Did we lose Pete? Can you hear me? Eric, did we lose Pete? Hello? All right. I don't know if we lost Pete, but I'm not hearing anything, and I'm not uh, hearing literally anything. 
Derek, do we have Pete? Okay. Um, yeah, he's not potted up, or at least he's not potted up to me because I cannot hear Peter Kirsten now speaking right now. Bob, can you hear me? Tell you what, we're going to take a timeout uh, right now. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. If we don't have Pete, we'll take your phone calls on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, ten forty one. The Gremlins are out of the uh, the gears now, I guess, uh, because uh, not sure what happened. Couldn't hear Pete, but we are now reconnected for whatever reason. Uh, but uh, sometimes you just never know. Peter, uh, thanks for your patience through all of that. Apologies for the glitch. Uh, the question was, of course, about Mike Pence and his plans for Wednesday and Rob Portman and others who plan to not support those moves. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, I, I was saying that I respect Senator Portman, but I respectfully disagree vehemently with him and all other Republicans who are pr- practically saying, well, look, let's not do anything here because we don't want to upset the apple cart. We don't want to encourage Democrats to do something similar. This is Lucy with the football on steroids. If you don't object to this, it's it's as if the Democrats are somehow going to play fair. On a, they've never done that, and they're in. And the Republicans are always saying, "Well, we have to do it this way, so the Democrats won't do it do it to us later." Well, the Democrats have no compunction about doing that whatsoever. But aside from that type of tit for tat, the fact of the matter is, what we have seen. And I'll speak for myself, and maybe again, maybe I'm just completely. A, blinkered about this, and I'm not seeing this thing correctly, but what I see is evidence, just extraordinary evidence of fraud. Again, whether or not that changes the outcome of the election, I don't know, but it's it's significant evidence that I have never seen in my lifetime, and I've been watching electoral politics for 50 years. This is extraordinary, and if this doesn't prompt Republicans to take some kind of action, now I, I happen to think logistically that the action being contemplated by Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley probably won't go anywhere. Why? Because numerically we don't have the numbers. We're so polarized in this country that you know that Democrats are going to walk in lockstep and vote against the uh, challenge that is imposed by both um, Republican Senate and House members. Currently about 140 at last count in the House and at least 11 or 12, not counting Josh Hawley in the Senate. But after the objections are raised by presumably Ted Cruz and others, then the various houses are going to separate and they're going to debate this, you know, whether or not they're going to have this type of commission to review the, the fraud, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But will that change the outcome of the election? I, I don't think that after the objections are lodged and the debate is, is ongoing, after you, know, you take a look at the Electoral Count Act of 1887, they're going to debate for two hours, then have a vote, and both chambers, of course, have got to agree that the objections, the majority of them um, agree that the objection should be sustained and that then the outcome is, is successful in terms of preventing the certification of the vote. Because Democrats hold the House by a very narrow margin, admittedly, and much the... Much more narrow now. Yeah, much more narrow. And that, you know, so far we've only heard from 140 Republicans, and you can always depend on some Republicans, unfortunately, to defect. And in the Senate, it's pretty clear that someone like a Rob Portman is not going to vote, and there's a number of others, that I doubt we're going to be able to get both houses to vote um, to sustain the objections. But that, that's one thing. Let me, let me go that, back to the evidence for a second. 
let me let me go back to the evidence for a second because that was, was important. What you just said is that there is just an extraordinary amount of evidence that has been presented, ignored by the media, but you know thousands of affidavits under penalty of perjury sworn by eyewitnesses to uh, fraud and to activity that is you know calling at least into question the electoral integrity from uh, from a number of different areas. Um, that's what makes this different from what Rob Portman cited in his statement yesterday. He said, "Quote." The only time this was attempted in the past 70 years was in 2005. And by the way, I think he says that erroneously, because they also challenged the electors in 2001, right after the Bush election over Gore, uh, and then uh, also in 2017, right after Trump won. Right. But he said this was only attempted in the past 70 years. Was it, The only time was in 2005 when Democrats objected to the electors from my home state of Ohio, hoping to give the presidency to John Kerry instead of George W. Bush. I stood in opposition to Democrats then, saying Congress should not obstruct the will of the American people. I was concerned then that Democrats were establishing a dangerous precedent where Congress would inappropriately assert itself to try to reverse the will of the voters, end quote. Pete, two things. Number one, John Kerry had conceded that election was no longer in doubt. And number two, you didn't have thousands of people swearing under penalty of perjury in, in affidavits. You didn't have uh, videos of uh, people sending uh, vote watchers home and then starting or continuing to count after they're gone, you know, with surveillance videos. You didn't have any of the things in 2005 that you have now. He's comparing apples and spaceships here. You're exactly right. 2000, 2005 don't come anywhere near the scale of what happened here in multiple jurisdictions. It's truly extraordinary. And if this doesn't occasion objections, what will? Is there any means by which there could be massive fraud that affects the outcome of the election and we've got to then just take it? That's it? So in other words, there's no deterrence for fraud, no effective deterrence for fraud, that if you are successful in getting away with with uh, multiple instances of fraud and your candidate wins, we just leave it lie because we don't want to upset the apple cart. I mean, this is extraordinary. And uh, look, it's not just me. You know, you you listen to a number of uh, individuals who are pining upon this, who have a constitutional understanding of what's supposed to transpire. Uh, We're going to lose the republic. That's all I can say. So people of goodwill can have objections or or differences on these. I know one of my favorite senators, the guy I agree with 99% of the time, Tom Cotton, for example, takes a different position. I respect that. And one of the reasons why I respect a Cotton or a Portman is that we are in unprecedented times. But I would argue vociferously that this is such an occasion that merits taking the extraordinary measures that are being conducted by at least some, you know, look, Ted Cruz is no dummy. Um, Ted Cruz may be posturing. I don't think he's posturing. I don't think the other individuals who are signing along with him who have a pedigree of being those types, those senators who are most aligned with the constitutional principles uh, that govern this country, those are the ones who are objecting to this. The ones who are, and again, I don't mean to say this pejoratively, but those who have kind of a reputation for being politicians first and statesmen second are the ones who are most likely to say, well, we don't want to upset the apple cart here. Again, I don't mean to be pejorative here, but again, what circumstances, what, if I were a journalist and one of those senators who's not going to take any kind of action was in front of me, one of the questions I would pose to him is, can you define a set of circumstances where you would challenge the outcome of the election? Because if this is not it... Short of just outright insurrection, I don't know what occasions. Why do we have these provisions in the Constitution, by the way? Why are they there? 
I, I, I'm completely mystified, and I say that sincerely, and I say that with a, I a, a tremendous degree of frustration. I, I am one of those guys who I try not to be hyperbolic about what's transpiring on any given day. But we are seeing something that is, it's, look, someone like Mark Levin has said it much better than I ever could. We either have a constitution or we don't have a constitution. We either have a, a republic or we don't have a republic. And not in my lifetime have we ever gotten to a point as close as this one to abolishing the precepts of a republic, where our major institutions have been corrupted, the media and all other type of institutions that help shape the outcome of elections have been completely, they've just thrown off all pretense as to where they stand, all objectivity. They have simply decided to become rank partisans, and we cannot continue down this path, especially given the superstructure of the media and big tech and other institutions that have decided they're going all in with the woke agenda. Uh, this is a very, very troubling time. And our, 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 you know, what was it that Franklin said, a constitution or a republic, if you can keep it? We're being right. tested right now. We are being tested right now. And certain people will rise to the challenge. Whether or Again, I say it again. I think process values are important. Even if the outcome is that Joe Biden is president, which I believe to be likely, um, even if that's the ultimate outcome at the end of the day, because look, the numbers are just not there right now. It's important to go through this process. Otherwise, my goodness, we, we have no framework for adjudicating these types of matters, and the Democrats are going to be emboldened to do this every single chance they get. Yeah, well, you know, and that's the uh, the funny part about this. You you mentioned before about Charlie Brown and Lucy moving the football. You know, Tom Cotton has said the same thing. In fact, probably more directly than even Portman did about this is going to lead to the Democrats doing you know doing worse. Um, they are already. I mean, if they can stage the theft of a presidential election over the course of four or five key battleground states in plain sight, and they have. Um, they have they have no compunction whatsoever to follow the rules. They're not you know they're not going to say well the Republicans followed the rules the Republicans didn't do anything about what we did here so now we'll play nice with them. You give them an inch they take the proverbial you know hundred miles. That's just the way that it is. And I really am disappointed. I, I love Tom Cotton by the way. I love his conservative credentials. I love everything about him. He might be a twenty twenty four guy. Who knows? But it, to, the idea that we should play by the rules or play nice with the Democrats in the hopes that they'll return the the favor or or play in kind i think is uh, short-sighted to say the least and i don't know maybe even worse yeah well they're not playing by the rules that's precisely the point they're depending as usual on republicans playing by the rules and playing the loser this truly is lucy with the football all over again and republicans have been masters at doing this and it's always like next time well maybe they'll play nice next time they never ever do Senator Portman and Senator Cotton. They never do. Just look at history. But that's beside the point. We have constitutional mechanisms to adjudicate these things. That doesn't mean, again, process values. It doesn't mean that the outcome will change, but nonetheless, it's imperative to go through the process as a part of political hygiene. If you don't do that, what you truly have is a one-party state. 
And that may happen at the end of the day uh, today. It's conceivable, I suppose, in Georgia. I don't think it will happen. But we've got checks and balances in the system. And the problem is that Democrats, they either do it, they eliminate those checks and balances by fraud, or if they win in Georgia, they may do it pursuant to votes. They may eliminate filibusters, eliminate electoral college, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And after that, game over. The Constitutional Republic is gone. Pete, I've got a couple minutes left, and uh, I think we've said all we can say about the votes which are being cast right now in Georgia and uh, in advance of what we you know, we know is going to happen tomorrow in D.C. I, I just said something off the cuff, and I want to get your thoughts on it. I said off the cuff, Tom Cotton might be a 2024 guy. Who knows? Do you have um, a feeling? Some have suggested that you know, if President Trump is ousted, uh, which you said is becoming more and more likely, and I agree, the challenges have been made and, and he's been turned back. The Democrats are very good at theft. Um, some have said Donald Trump should run again in 2024. He has hinted at it himself. <clears throat> Do you have an idea of what you would like to see that Republican field look like uh, four years from now? Yeah, I do. I have a very good idea. First of all, I love Tom Cotton, and it's simply because I disagree with him on this. And it's a big point. doesn't mean I still don't love yes. him. I think the guy is, is phenomenal, okay? And I'd cast a ballot for him in a heartbeat if Donald Trump wasn't in the mix, because I still maintain, this is me, I maintain that Donald Trump is the greatest president of my lifetime, and he may be one of the greatest presidents in history, period. I think he has accomplished all of those things that we know he's accomplished. I'm not going to tick off the litany of accomplishments in spite of unprecedented opposition, both from the Democrats, the media, but I repeat myself, and his own party. It's been extraordinary. Yet he's been uh, able to accomplish these things. He's up there in age, but he doesn't exhibit any signs of slowing down. I mean, he is not a Joe Biden, that's for sure. And if Donald Trump ran in 2024, I would happily cast him, provided, of course, in 2024, he does exhibit all the signs of energy that he currently has. I'd be glad to cast my ballot for Donald Trump. I'd support him in a heartbeat. Uh, so if the field consisted of Trump and Cotton, I'd go with Trump any, every single time. Every single time. Well, of course, it's, it's going to consist of a lot more than that, though, in a primary field, because you, you, I mean, you know some of the names. Christy Noem has given <clears throat> huge, huge bumps, huge sure. popularity there. Tim Scott in South Carolina is another one. Uh, you know, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, ambassador to the UN, another one. I mean, there's there's a lot, um, and it's a, it's going to be a very diverse field. I just named two women and a, and a black man uh, along with Trump and Cotton and, and so many others that could be a part of this whole thing. So um, that's the thing I wonder, because of President Trump's age um, and because of, you know, the stigma, quite frankly, you know, he's extraordinarily popular with his base, but not with the establishment. If we want to beat, um, you know, a, a, a President Harris incumbent, which is what I expect it to be, um, I wonder if it isn't going to require new blood. And I also wonder if it isn't going to require diverse blood, like I said, right. either, female, yeah. either female or minority in some way. All very good points. 2024 is a long way. A lot of things can happen between now and then. You know, President Trump may lose a little bit of his mojo. Uh, but all things being equal, uh, I think that Trump, this is Trump's party now. The Republican Party, the establishment needs to understand something that the grassroots have been motivated like at no other time in history, in the Republican Party at least, 80% of Republicans are going to vote for Donald Trump. Maybe a little bit less than that. But I don't think any, if Trump is in the, in the field, 
he occupies the entire field. No one else, I think, has a chance unless something else goes wrong. But again, four years is a long time. I don't know if he's yeah. going to have the same energy levels. I will tell you, having met the man, I've never seen anybody with more energy than that individual. He exhibits it on a daily basis. He saw the rally yesterday in Georgia. He's an extraordinary human being. Uh, you may dislike all kinds of elements about the manner in which he comports himself, but his... Uh, love for this country, his desire to promote the best interests of all Americans is undeniable. He's got a track record that nobody can match. So I think, you know, you got to consider him. If he wants to be the, the nominee in the Republican field, he will be the nominee in the Republican field. I, I truly believe that that will happen. If, I do have again. To, Go ahead. I, I, I do have to wonder, Pete, if, if that motivation or you said mojo will still be there four years from now. Right now he can say these things because... I think of the sting uh, of of being a one-term president, and I think because of the belief that this was stolen from him, and he can say, I'm coming back, and I'm coming back to retake what was mine. I wonder after a year of decompressing and uh, golfing and uh, another year of maybe doing some TV and then another year, I wonder if he really is going to want to have 77, what is he, 73 or 4? I wonder if he's going to want to restart that engine again and get it going. I think there's a lot of it right now that is pride and ego, which is totally understandable, and anger for having, you know, uh, an election essentially stolen. Uh, but like you said, that's a long way off. I'm just kind of curious because I mentioned Tom Cotton. Yeah, and either way, he's... The nominee for, for the Republican Party will go through Donald Trump one way or another. If it's not Donald Trump, he will be the kingmaker. I can't, I can't envision anybody becoming the Republican standard bearer without the blessing of Donald J. Trump. Very, very interesting and very, very possible. Peter Kirstenau, you have been the standard bearer for a very long time uh, on this program every Tuesday, bringing wisdom to us. I appreciate that. Uh, keep us posted. And you know what, Pete? You know, Georgia's today, and the big congressional fight is tomorrow. Maybe we're going to ask you to come back on later in the week, if you would, to give us just a little bit of post-fight uh, um, uh, uh, reaction, if you could do that for Happy us. Happy to do so, Bob. And also, uh, this afternoon, I actually have to do a White House meeting on the 1776 Commission. Be happy to fill you in on that. I don't know how long we're going to be around in the Biden yes. administration, but we are working hard to produce what Donald Trump has charged us with doing. Virtual meeting, I assume? Yeah, it's going to be a virtual meeting. Uh, some people will be meeting in the White House, a few of them who live in Washington, but the rest of us, you know, I mean, Victor Davis Hanson's out in California, you know, people are all over the country, but uh, we're going to be meeting and uh, we're going to try to discharge our objective. Got it. Peter Kersenow, thank you, my friend. God bless. Take care. All right, that's Peter Kersenow. Uh There's no better way to end it. We gave him the full hour because, well, we're smarter when we listen to Peter Kersenow for longer. That's why. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to react to all of this. Um, you know, we're going to find out whether or not a republic was saved in Georgia. Uh, the polls close around 7 p.m. tonight. We'll have our answer tonight, reaction tomorrow morning. You're going to want to be here for that. And I'm going to clear the deck for the most part. I may have one or two analysts, but I'm going to clear the deck to get your reaction to where we go from here on tomorrow's program. Uh, largely, uh, largely guest-free. Stay here for Mike Gallagher next, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. God bless. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence.